When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to PHLY Flyers presented by Mortgage CS. Check out mortgagecs.com slash PHLY to start your home buying process today. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me as always, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter. It is Charlie O'Connor. Chuck, I say as always. It's not. It's not as always. Sometimes I'm not in studio. Sometimes, sometimes I'm at the arena. Sometimes you're not going to be here for the next three days, and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. That is true. I am uh, t- we, taking a little vacation. We have content lined up. Don't worry, everybody. Um, it's it's going to be good. But this is our last day with Charlie here, and fittingly, uh, we're going to be discussing part two of your uh, of your interview with Bob Rotruck. Uh We're going to play that for you in a little bit. Uh, we played you the first part of it yesterday. We have about 15 minutes remaining that we're going to play on today's show for everybody. Uh, get, getting some good insight on a team that many of us simply don't have access to watch, don't have the time to watch. But it is important in this rebuilding stage to at least have someone having eyes on this yeah. thing. Because if we're going to be optimistic about the future, and we have a mailbag question we're going to get to later about like, yeah, okay, who would you like to see them target, free agency trade or whatever? And, yeah, that's going to be a part of this thing. We, Unless they hit on a bunch of draft picks over the next couple of years, like make some, like score some real touchdowns here, uh, It's you're going to have to buy, but you always need to be replenishing with depth at least yeah. from your minor leagues, and that's been an issue for the Flyers in years past. Hopefully, what we're seeing right now is a uh, a change in that because it does sound like there are some young players progressing down there. Uh, just before we get into some of the stuff today and play part two, I want to get back to some of the things we talked about yesterday. Yeah, starting with uh, starting with Anne Laperriere as the team's head coach. We talked about this a bit 
and Bob Rochuk brought it up just in terms of the overall team coming together and the, uh, the progression of some of the young players. I was asked uh, when I did the DNVR pregame before was that last Saturday's game against, yes. uh, against the Avs. Two Saturdays ago. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Two Saturdays ago. Um, one of their co-hosts, Eric Lacroix, played with Anne LaPerriere. Uh, so he's got a friendship there. He wanted to know what we thought of him in that role. And I said, I and asked if he could maybe be elevated at some point. It's like, well, he spent some time on the NHL bench for whatever reason. You know, like the penalty kill was bad. Also, the team was bad. You know, maybe those things go hand in hand. Maybe they don't. Uh, but like, I think they really like him in this developmental role uh, where he's getting his hands on the kids and really teaching them what it's going to take to cut it in the NHL. I think the guy had like a 14-year NHL career. Like, he knows what it takes. He's done it before. Uh, what do you think about the job LaPerriere is doing down there? Like, what have you taken from people's comments about Lappy? And just, do you think he could ever come back up? <laughs> yeah. I'm still kind of on the fence about Lappy. So going back to to his years as assistant coach, I was very critical of Ian LaPerriere on a regular basis yeah. because my opinion, and I still hold to this, is that the Flyers were leaving a lot of meat on the bone in terms of the penalty kill. We're seeing it now. And granted, maybe this Flyers team is more talented than we thought, but what Bradshaw has the Flyers doing from a penalty killing standpoint He's not doing it with a bunch of super high-end players. No. But this penalty kill is still one of the best in the league. It's one of the most aggressive in the league. And I would watch the Flyers' penalty kills under Ian LaPerriere and just be extremely frustrated with what they were doing wrong. They were either too passive or they were too aggressive. They didn't really know the right balance. It didn't seem like they were properly prepared to play against specific power plays. So I, I question whether the pre-scouting was good enough. Obviously, then, in the shakeup that ensues... In the multiple coaching changes, obviously, Ian LaPerriere doesn't really end up on the coaching staff of Elaine Vigneault. He's certainly not on the coaching staff of John Tortorella, but he has been moved down into this developmental AHL head coaching role. I thought his first year as Phantoms head coach, I thought he was struggling mightily. I thought the team underperformed, and I didn't see the kind of progression I wanted to see from the prospects. Last year, I thought he did a pretty good job. I thought key guys took enough steps forward. You know, Cam York went down there and, and and came up a much better player. Tyson Forrester, I think, came up last year, especially during that stint, and he looked like, oh, man, I don't know what they were doing with him down there, but he looked good. He still looks good. It's just he's not scoring. But the details of his game, significantly better than I ever imagined they would be. This year, I don't know. You know, I guess a lot of it's going to depend on, truthfully, how some of these guys, if they get calls up, how will they look? You know, when Emil Andre comes up, does he look better, significantly better than what he looked when he was up at the beginning of the year? Like that to me is going to be a, a key measurement of how I think Ian LaPerriere is doing coaching this team. Because as an AHL coach, there's really two things you're gunning for. Number one, you want to coach a winning team. And not just because everybody's competitive, but because presumably players develop better in teams that are competitive and competitive. It's the reason I don't want the Flyers to fall off the way they have over this five game losing streak. I hope they bounce back because one, they deserve to be rewarded for their efforts in the first half. And two, I don't think you can draw real conclusions yeah. about players when they're playing in exhibition games in March and April. Yeah, agreed. So number one, you want the coach to be coaching, you know, strong systems and putting his team in positions to succeed and to win. Number two, you want that AHL coach to be developing the young talent well. 
jury is out on number two this year. I think he did a pretty good job last year of that. This year, I want to see how guys perform when they get like. I guess you could say Lulu Excel is one guy where you know he got the call up and whatnot, but I don't know. I'm not even sure if I even really consider him a prospect at this point. To me, it's more like, okay, can it translate to the NHL or not? I don't know if I really pin that on Lappy. For someone like Emil Andre, you know, if Ronnie Adder gets a look, that'll be interesting to me. And that will tell me how I feel about his developmental work this year. Now, if you're looking at the team's performance, teams are struggling. And that is in at least a little bit on Ian LaPerriere, especially given the fact that I think they have more talent than where they're at in the standings. However, Bob did make a really good point how it's real hard to win games when your goalies stink. And it does seem like they are kind of getting goalied in the bad way this year. So I don't know how much I should really pin the underperformance on LaPerriere when if it was an NHL coach who was getting bad goaltending, I would be like, maybe it's not that coach's fault. Maybe it's just the goaltending stinks and that's dragging everything else down. No, I mean, when you you look at the coach firings around the NHL this year, it's like... Yeah, I'm sure there are little things you can do to help your goalie, but you know, uh, Woodcroft would still be in Edmonton if they could buy a save. Exactly. And now they're getting some saves. Like they don't give up more yeah. than two goals ever. And now they're and on now pace. They, so, yeah. they haven't lost. <laughs> they're on pace like break the NHL record for most consecutive Their wins. coach got fired and they might end up with the fucking president's trophy anyway. Yeah. Like, cause it's they wild. never, ever lose. Yeah. Uh, and just Cal Peterson in 15 games, 890 save percentage for the Phantoms. Felix Sandstrom in 15 games, 878 save percentage. It's not great. So, um, not particularly your, your good. better goalie, who's now the Flyers' backup, and presumably it's now Felix Sandstrom and that dude from the AHL, who actually <laughs> has the best numbers amongst their goalies. Um, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it, you're not going to win many games that way, but like, I, I do think. You know, we on, on Bob's interview yesterday, when you hear about, like, Samu Tuomala when he was over here the last time before he went back, and now he's in the AHL again, like, he was lost, didn't know what to do. And now part of that's just maturity, and he's been through a few camps and, like, got a taste of the NHL with the, uh, at least in preseason. Like, maybe it's just him maturing, but I don't know. I hear about a guy who struggled back home as well, and now he's over here. And he's one of the leading rookie scorers in the AHL. I'll chalk that up to coaching. It's a reasonable point. And I do think that some of Tuamala's progression predated him coming to the minors because I saw this version of Tuamala at development camp. And that's why it popped out so much because I had never seen that guy before, even though I'd seen him at multiple camps. I had never seen that version of him. So I think the. The shift in mentality for Tuamala happened before he got to the AHL under LaPerriere. However, I have to give LaPerriere credit that he hasn't stunted him, that he's fostered what was working for Tuamala. Tuamala's got 34 points in 40 games. That's not bad. The flip side of that, and this is a guy I, I was really interested to hear what Bob had to say about him because I don't watch these games. It's tough for me to tell what's real and what's not. Elliot Desnoyer was a guy who... <coughs> After last season, when he really, really exceeded expectations, this is a later round pick. You're thinking maybe they have a gem. I went into training camp thinking he had an off chance of making the team, that if he had a killer camp, he could have done what Bobby Brink did, Mm -hmm. where if he had the Bobby Brink camp, he could have been the fourth line center or maybe the third line wing, something like that. He had a shot. Instead, he kind of flopped. 
from the start, from the rookie games they played up in uh, up in Lehigh. Yeah, they he, were not. He was a non-factor in those games, and he was a non-factor the entirety really of camp. And then so far this year, he has 14 points in 36 games. So I was really interested to hear what Bob had to say about Danoye in particular, because to me, if you're looking at a potential developmental failure, I hate when guys regress. And it seems like Danoye, at least offensively, has regressed. That's why I wanted to talk with Bob because I'm just looking at the numbers and I'm seeing a guy who last year was one of the team's top scorers who was banging down the door for an NHL job. And now suddenly you're like, is he even an NHL player? So that like, yes, I will give him to Amala a little bit worried about the the direction of Day Noye. And those are, I think Day Noye and Andre, email Andre are the guys I want to focus on after we hear yeah. The uh, the road truck interview, but yeah, Laperriere he's been in this spot a few years now, and I want to give him credit to for some of this stuff that we're now seeing. You know, Igor Zamula for one. Um, I mean, it's he kind of just aged out. Yeah, it's like we true. have to play him. True, but he looks like he belongs. Yeah, so like, I do want to give him credit for some things, but you do have to bring up like, hey, you know, where where some of these guys go? Yeah, that we we yeah. had these good feelings about, and if he's going to stick as like, if it's going to be, you know, back in the Philadelphia Phantoms days, it was just all those tweeners we talk about. And it was about selling tickets and winning. Of course. Because the Flyers could just buy whatever the hell they yeah, wanted. It, they didn't care. Yeah, you didn't need to they develop didn't, people. I didn't know there was about no salary cap. I didn't know about the NHL draft until like 2007. <laughs> I didn't like, it was a foreign concept. The Flyers never made picks. Yeah. They just were like, like Simone Gagne, where'd he come from? Did they like create a player? Yeah. Right. Like, like Brian Boucher. What? No, but like, I, now it's a developmental league. Right. Like, that's what it is. And if LaPerriere is going to stick in this role for a considerable more amount of time, we need to see more success. Yes. And that's going to be coming over the next year or two, I guess, as we'll have a better way to judge that. But, like, email Andre, who, like, at least the coach looked at is like, he's got the tools. Yeah. He might not know what the hell he's doing, but he has the tools out there. Like, if those tools can't be brought out in him, that is an indictment of the coaching staff. I guess my big concern with LaPerriere in this role, and this was something that I thought very much played out from what I had heard and what I had observed his first year as coach. My concern was that LaPerriere, because of the player he was, you know, he was a, a guy who was a skill guy in juniors who scored a lot of points, got to the pros and realized I'm going to need to be a fourth line, you know, fighter, energy, do all the little things type of guy. And I was worried that because of his path to the NHL, that he was going to gravitate towards those types and not provide the type of development that they were going to need from the skill guys. And I thought in year one, that was a problem. Like I heard that he didn't particularly click well with Cam York. Well, obviously, was a big part of this. He coached Morgan Frost, and that didn't quite work out the way they wanted. Whereas instead, who was he promoting like crazy? Hayden Hodgson, who like, where is he even now? Oh, so, Charlie. But that was my point. I was really worried about like, did they just hire a guy who's going to specialize in pumping out fourth line grinders? Yeah. And then the guys that actually have skill, he's going to clash with. I thought in year two, he did a lot better. I mean, number one, he pulled a score out of Elliot Desnoyers, who you thought maybe was just a fourth-line grinder. I thought Tyson Forrester developed well under him last year. So I started to worry less about that. And look, not it's not just coaches. It's everything. You hopefully get better as you do something more and you learn from your mistakes. And I thought, okay, maybe LaPerriere, you know, did a little self-assessment after year one. 
decided what he did well and what he did poorly, and then in year two improved. Year three, I'm still saying the jury's out. I want to see how guys like Andre and and Adder, you know, guys like that, guys that they have a real stake in their development, how they do when they get another shot. I do think, though, that that concern remains for me. It's less prevalent than it was in year one when I was really worried about it, but it still lingers because I still worry that LaPerriere is always going to have a natural bias towards the guys that are like him versus the guys that have the skill to actually do the cool things at the NHL level. All right, we're going to get to the uh, road truck interview in just a second, but first we have to take Quick timeout so I can tell you about my friends at Mortgage CS. And what does that CS stand for? Oh, it's Mortgage Concierge Service. What exactly does that mean? They like to describe themselves as a white glove service available 24-7. They are here to educate and empower their clients and provide exceptional customer service. That is just the absolute greatest thing you can provide. I mean, you know, the ultra competitive rates, all that stuff, everyone's going to advertise that to you. No matter what the mortgage broker is, no matter what, it's always, oh, well, we, we can find you this rate. We can get you this. Listen, they are going to try their best to find you ultra competitive rates. But what it comes down to is the trust that you put, that you have in them to go forward. Because that's, what's more important you're the next 30 years of your life like oh yeah i'm gonna get a mortgage you know i'm gonna be paying bills till i die basically you need to have trust in the people you're dealing with in making these decisions and that's what mortgage cs provides in that exceptional customer service they're available 24 7 from their two owners they're not passing you off they're not just oh yeah well you know you'd call or text uh, this guy who uh, yeah we've been through this whole conversation and now talk to somebody else no you actually get to talk to ben stucker ceo of the company you can text him right now 267-391-7425 you can talk to his partner alec you can email ben anytime BennettMortgageCS.com. Uh, if you're in the home buying market, you just jumped in, or maybe you're a few steps down the road, you're not quite sure about who you're currently dealing with, you can always talk to Ben or uh, Ben about that. And if eh, maybe it's a little down the road for you, you're happy with your current situation, talk Philly sports with him. He answers all of these texts and calls 24-7, so make sure you talk to him. Uh, they want... They want Mortgage CS to be who you think of when you hear the word mortgage and the way they're going to do that is by just being there, being there for you, taking care of your needs and concerns in the home buying process. I've been through it. It sucks. It's a lot of work. You probably don't understand it. You need someone who does. I sat down with Ben and Alec and I kind of understand it better after having been through it. It was more. It was easier to understand after a few minutes talking to them than when I actually signed my name away uh, for for the for basically the rest of my life. You know, let's let's be honest with each other here. Uh, so, <laughs> like, so I'm just telling you, it's probably in your best interest to go with Mortgage CS. Remember this advertisement. Is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity lender, uh, mortgage broker. All loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. Visit mortgagecs.com for m- more information. Make sure you go to mortgagecs.com slash PHLY because that'll make me look good. All right. And uh, now without any further ado, I believe we can get to part two of the interview with Bob Rotruck Phantom's play-by-play commentator.
Okay, changing gears for a little bit, want to talk yeah. to you about the defensemen. I, I know I'm going to focus specifically on Emil Andre and Ronnie Adder. I know LJ Grons is another quality prospect. He was out for a while with injury, so yeah. that that's a big part of you know why his season maybe hasn't gone necessarily the way he's wanted it to. But with Andre and Adder, these are two guys where if you look at their numbers just in isolation, you would say, man, they're playing really well. It's particularly, I mean, Andre has 22 points in 31 games. Adderts on pace for more goals and points than he did last year. But I get the sense that there isn't a ton of urgency on the part of the Flyers to move these guys up to the NHL level. So I guess I'm curious as to whether they're, they're all around games doesn't quite match up with the raw point totals and the numbers, or if it's more just the case that the Flyers defense core is pretty backlogged already and they're just kind of figure, well, it's not going to hurt them to play more at the AHL level. Yeah, kind of all of the above, sort of. I, I more, I, I'm more along the lines of, I don't know if the Flyers even care that much about their point totals, mm. you know, for a defenseman especially. Andre is going to get points on the power play. And that's, you know, distributing to other, and he's terrific to watch on the power play, really exciting. And some of the keeps that he has on the blue line are just phenomenal. And, and he's terrific at quarterback in the power play, which by the way, is one of the best in the league. Andre is a big part of that, but also he's got some other players around him that are also really good. Uh, and for Ronnie Adderd, you know, that, you know, the, the focus on the points is something that had been addressed even going back to last year. And Lappy has talked about this, you know, quite a bit. I don't want him thinking about the points. I've taken him off of our second power play because of that. We want him to focus on defense. And so Adderd, I think, is quietly, and, and they that's what they want. They want him to be more of a quiet player. Go back, kill the play. That's your job, uh, you know, to almost not be noticed. Now they're actually putting him back on that second power play unit. He goes, he's in the left circle. And, and that's his one-timer side. So they put him up there, and, and Ethan Sampson quarterbacks that power play. So Adder doesn't quarterback the power play. He spent more time off of the power play than on. You know, will he be part of a power play at the NHL level, I think, is sort of that question. Like, it, it, that might not be your thing anyway. Right. Uh, but the defensive strides that he's making and making the smarter plays and and distributing the puck. Now, with Emil Andre, uh they're still talking about wanting him to play and decide faster. And that's what Torts had said back in November when they sent him down. That's what Andre said about himself. And he's more self-critical than any other player I think that I've talked to is Emil Andre. And, and Lappy said that more recently as well. And, you know, he has, he has some good games and then some good plays, but then they get caught a little bit on their own end. And that happened in uh, Friday's game. The Phantoms were down 3 nothing against the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, scored twice in the second, Brink had one of those, and then once in the third, J.R. Avon set up Adam Brooks, and, and they tied it, and they were on the verge of winning and just killing the Pens, and the shots in the third were 17-4, to but the Penguins won it with a minute and a half left, and it was some lost coverage defensively on just a, 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 a casual dump-in, but Granz and Andre and Avon were back there. Now, Lappy just says our rookies made some rookie mistakes, but I can look on the video. I know who was there. And we had we had two guys going into the corner and nobody out in front. And that was a, a learning moment mistake. You know, that's right. what the AHL is. It, when you make a mistake, okay, that's a teaching moment here. And we don't want to harp on the negative 
too much, but also we do need to learn from the mistakes that we make. And so I see a play like that, it, it, it stung. And, and I know that Andre probably couldn't stop thinking about it after that, but there have been some plays in there where you go, Ugh. and then some other plays where Andre just really stands out because of his skill set and how good he is. So there's there's been some, you know, and you're going to have some ups and downs because you're trying to figure out, and this is what it's about, get the big minutes down here, Andre, Brink, whoever, get the big minutes out here, and that helps you get the reps to figure it out. But in that process of figuring it out one week after another after another, there are going to be some bumps along the road, and, you know, teams are coming at you with a, a new forward check that you haven't seen before, maybe a little more aggressive and, all right, are you going to be able to handle it and have the, the support there? Are you going to provide the support? Are you going to panic? And and so getting doing that over and over again, that kind of alleviates the panic on just finding an exit and really simple things like that, you know, and so that it, it's not about the points. It's about right. finding the exits. It's about coverage and knowing who's supposed to go in the middle and who's going into the corner and all of those things defensively that, they, they need to thrive at. I feel like Adder's getting there and Andre, you know, get some bumps in the road along the way, you know, makes a misplay and then you, then he's great sometimes. So, but at the NHL level, if you do something like that, Torch's reaction is going to be a little different than what <laughs> Lappy's reaction is here. Lappy says that all the time. Like, Hey, you can get away with that here up there. You know, that coach is, you know, maybe sometimes not so much, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not going to stand fair. for that. Very, very fair. Um, one other guy I wanted to uh, wanted to ask you about, um, and then I want to just get into a general question to close it out. Um, one guy who, going into camp, was I think viewed as a dark horse to make the team. I know Ian Lapierre during rookie camp very much was talking him up as a guy like that. Was Elliot Desnoyers? Lappy last year loved his play. You know, he relied on him as basically first line center, all situations kind of guy. This year, he has just 14 points in 36 games. So I guess I'm curious, what explains the drop-off? Has there been something missing from his game? Is it is it just puck luck? Or what, what's what's going on with him? It's hard to say. And and I've been talking, and, and we've had a lot of conversations about this. More like a second-line center last year, by the way. And Isimov was our top-line guy, right. but you know what, whatever. You know, same diff. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I mean, it feels like a sophomore slump, mm. you know, and and – I, I think he, I mean, he knows it. He's, he's such a cerebral player. He's so smart and, you know, he's just, sometimes the line combos haven't been exactly the same for him. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised as well. 23 goals last year, which was a Lehigh Valley record, most goals by a rookie. This year he has four and we're past the midway mark. It's not just about the goals for him though. Uh, but yes, that obviously sticks out. Did he have more puck luck than maybe was warranted last year with setups from his teammates? I don't know. Uh, they want him to continue. He's not going to be a 30-goal guy at the sure. NHL level, though. So, I mean, does it really matter that much? I think it can also, it's also fair to ask that. But is he doing the right things out there consistently for the type of player that they want him to be? And I think more often than not, the answer is yes. He's doing a lot better on face-offs. This year, and that's something that, you know, because he hadn't been a center before, he's really worked on that. Now I see him out there, and and every other time I look up, he's winning one of those clean, you know, not even with a little support. And and that's great to see, you know. And his positioning and his smarts, he's in the right places, and he's doing the right things, and the goals still aren't coming. 
I, I, I don't know why exactly. But and then there was some discussion as well about um, what whether uh, you know he came in last year. Nobody really knew what he was, and now teams can you know kind of solve him some and 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 key on him, and he's no secret anymore. Is that part of it? You know, maybe maybe somewhat too. But you know, and Lappy has talked about this as well. Hey, second year, you know, guys going to a slump. It happened to me. When I was, you know, getting my career started, it happens to a lot of guys. And, you know, dental IH just needs to keep on pushing and fighting through it. Samu, to me, also needs to keep pushing and fighting through it, even though he gets an occasional point. But this is a longer season and a longer grind and more games per week than some of those guys are used to. Desi's used to it. You know, he had the injury stuff a couple of years ago, but for the most part, he's used to playing that many games. But for some players like Brink and Tuamala coming out of college hockey or European hockey, they don't play this many games. And they've already, you know, we're at 40 games now for the Phantoms. This would almost be the end of their season, but stretched out over six months. That's a big difference maker too, because your legs are sore and it's like, okay, this week we got games Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you know, we're still going, we're still pushing and pumping and we got some three and threes coming up too, which we do in the AHL. It is a hard grind of a league. So for guys, when they take little, little steps back, that can happen. Dental AA, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think guys get tired and get bumped and bruised too. Uh, that it, it might maybe doesn't have as much of an impact for the newness on him, but it is a grind of a season. I, I see him working. I, I see him still pushing forward. He knows what his season has been. I think he's been okay this year, even though the numbers don't show it, but he's doing more, you know, so many of the right things. I, I feel like they're, they're okay with them, but sure. Yeah. There's, there's some disappointment that all the way back to the rookie series, in September. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. exactly impressing. And I was looking at that game in Forster too. And I'm like, well, these guys should show up and dominate. Well, you know, I know it's September. And Desi did all the right things in the summer too. He was staying in Voorhees and yeah. working out all the time. Uh, so it's not like he came, he showed up to camp out of shape or anything like that, or had, you know, put it together the last month before camp. And a lot of guys get out of town. The guys that stay in town, like Louis Belpedio giving himself a shot to actually get back up to the NHL level. Desi was doing that as well. But, you know, let's also not forget that, you know, he's also a kid still too. He just turned 22. So, you know, the ups and downs, sure. But I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely was with you. I thought that he was going to have a chance to push for a spot on the opening night roster. And when he came down here, I thought he'd be doing pretty good. And, you know, 23 goals last year, just pick up where you left off and keep it up. But instead it, it has been a little bit of a turn the other direction in some ways for Desi. But the, the fact is, since he's still doing so many things well, I, I do think they're comfortable with with the path that he's on still. Got it, got it. Okay, this is a, this is the last question. This is more of an open-ended one. Um, there's always guys, you know, who, for people who watch the Phantoms on a daily basis, there's there's guys that the, the real prospect people, the people who are focused on the big names, they don't even think about. But if you had to point out one guy, I guess preferably a prospect, but it could be an AHL veteran who has been a, a pleasant surprise, who's been, who's exceeded expectations and maybe has put himself on the radar in the way that like a Louis Balpedio did with the fact that he then became a guy who spent a decent amount of time at the NHL level. Like if there's one guy you had to point out who people might not know, but maybe should know, who would it be? I, I think John Randall Avon has a pretty bright future. You know, he has seven goals for us. And and I mean, you know, the, he, he's a rookie. He's 20 years old. 
Uh, but he is such a smart player and knows what he's doing and, and he can just fly. And on uh, Saturday, he took a, it was on the power play and he took a little drop from Sampson way back in his own end, like on the faceoff dot. And he's just zipping right up there through all four Penguins penalty killers. So it was Friday's game. Uh, and all pass all three lines all the way in deep, little left of the cage and past the line and then just leaves it for Adam Brooks for a slam dunk. And J.R. Avon has very much impressed. And I, I think Lappy had an idea maybe of what he could be, but J.R. had that injury in training camp. So he practiced with us for a couple of weeks, but didn't play until October 25th or something like that. Uh, and, and then, you know, it's give him a couple games to kind of get going. And, and once he did, he's very quickly solidified himself in the lineup. He's not a guy, one of those prospects that's rotating in and out of the lineup. He earns his keep. And there, there are some comparisons with really young rookies playing 200 foot games and needing to learn what they ha can need to do to, to succeed at this level. And another 20 year old who was actually 19 was Alexi Gendron. And he couldn't cut it at the 200-foot game and was making some mistakes out there. He's just so young. And he's he was barely eligible to play for us by two days because of his birthday on December 30th. So he's 19 years old. They send him back to major juniors. He, he, in some ways, a little bit reminded me of Samu Tuamala, just kind of, you know, the skill set is there, but he's also a little lost out there and not doing enough right things away from the puck. JR does so many right things away from the puck and supporting his line mates that he's very noticeable. And I, I think he's very much impressed this year. And I, 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 you know, because he's undrafted partly because the Ontario hockey league didn't play that season right. in his draft year, he would have been drafted, but no, nobody took a chance on him because they weren't able to see him all year long. So you don't know what he is. Flyers got a little lucky. They said, let's bring him to camp, see what he is. And he chose to come to the Flyers. I'm guessing there had to be some other teams maybe offering invites who had some amount of interest, but the Flyers, you know, uh, spoke to him and he's, he said, yeah, I like it here too. JR told me that, um, you know, I, I think it was his, he had the development camp in the summer and then the rookie camp in September. And this was a couple years ago. And when they called him in, in September, he thought they were going to let him go and send him back home. <laughs> You know, well, it was a good run while I had it. Maybe I'll get another chance. And they called him in and said, we, we'd like to sign you to an entry-level contract. And and he was thrilled. But at first, he was like, well, I guess that's it. That's how yeah, it right. goes. Uh, he's, I, I I very much feel like he's an NHL player. He's he's going to be. So I, I would very much keep an eye on him. Sounds good. Uh, well, Bob, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. I, I'm sure our listeners are, and viewers, I guess, we are still a, a video show as well. Uh, I'm sure they'll love to hear these updates on, on the Phantoms going into the second half. So thanks again for joining us. Charlie, my pleasure. Good to talk. Welcome back to uh, the live portion of this show, PHLY fam. Uh, before we go any further, yes, we did see the, uh, the report from TSN's Rick Westhead about Carter Hart. We will be discussing that shortly. Uh, first, we want to get to what Bob Rotruck just talked about, all the stuff with the Phantoms. Uh, before we get to that, though, I got to tell you, uh, may maybe you want to go up to Lehigh Valley. You know, Flyers off might be a good time to go check out those AHL Phantoms. I've been up there. They have a uh, 
Tim Hortons right in the arena. That was pretty dope. You sure do. Uh, maybe you want to go up there. The best way to do it, it's with game time, baby. And right now, they tremendous deal going on. You're thinking, well, I've always said, if I'm going to go to the big game, I don't want my team in it because I want to participate in the anarchy if my team wins the big game. Well, for many of the people watching, your team is definitely not in the big game, so it might be the ideal time to take a trip out to Vegas for this one. You want to do that? You think, well, it's going to be a little pricey. What would you do if you had an extra 100 bucks? You're in luck. <laughs> you're in luck if you're looking for that extra 100 bucks because right now, that's right, right now, if you buy a ticket to the big game with game time, you get $100 off with code VEGAS100. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you right now. All users, all users. You don't have to, oh, I just signed up. No, everybody, everyone gets $100 off when they buy a big game ticket with code Vegas 100, as always, you know, killer deals on last minute uh, tickets, all in prices, view from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Some things I love about the app, the all in pricing. Yeah, it's just, oh, okay. I'm all the, a lot of times you use other ticket apps. You're, okay, I'm going to this event. This is what I'm going to spend. And you get to the very last page. Suddenly there's a whole new price. That's not the way game time does it. They show you all the fees, everything you're going to pay right up front. And that ticket view, man, you might be going somewhere. I've never, maybe you've never been to Vegas. You want to go to the big game. You have no idea what that seat's going to look like. You get a view right from your seat on the game time app. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time right now. All game time users get $100 off big game ticket with code Vegas 100 terms apply. Just download the game time app and use code V E G A S one zero zero for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to that game, you don't want to go out to Vegas, use code P H L Y for $20 off your first purchase. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And once you have those tickets secured, you're going to need something to wear to the big game or to any game you might be attending. you got to do it with game time, baby. Uh, no, wrong. Foco. 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 I just did game time. Now it's Foco. you got to do it with Foco, baby. Foco is the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, or anything you need for game day. And if you're in the market for, you know, maybe some accessories, toys, or collectibles for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set, You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. For all non-presale items, use promo code PHLY10. It's PHLY10 for 10% off at FOCO today. Get those big straw hats. Wear them in Sea Isle this summer. I'll notice and compliment you. All right, that's, uh, that's the business we have for now to take care of. Let's get to our reactions from Bob Rotruck in that interview Charlie did with him yesterday. I called it our interview in a, in a tweet today. I thought that was funny. Um, I do the tweets. <laughs> I, I thought the most interesting thing, quite honestly, as much as I want to talk about Andre and Elliot Desnoyers, I don't know if I'd written Ronnie Adderd off in my head, but it just seemed like he got jumped. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and not beaten up in the street. I mean, like, he was surpassed when, all, like, you know, he got a look last year. We've seen him up here. And all of a sudden, Emil Andre, he's playing in the NHL to start this season. And they're sitting guys like Zamula, sitting guys like Mark Stahl, so he can get a little bit of time. Now, eventually, he's back down with the Phantoms. But Ronnie Adder, they're having him focus more on defense, less on points. And you, when you've talked to me about Adder, when we talked about him in years past, you're like, he's just fun as hell to watch because he is a risk taker. Uh, he's kind of, he's physical, but he's out there to score. Yeah. And they've had him focus more on defense, less on points. Uh, Bob even mentioned they took him off the power play for some time to just say, hey, this is what you're doing now. You're focusing a little bit more on D. What do you think of that as a developmental tool? Like, we know the coaching staff, John Tortorella and company, want the defense taking risks. Like Jamie yeah. Drysdale was here for 20 minutes, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's not even a defenseman. He's a rover. Uh, now he's an elite skater, so, like, you get caught up ice. He's getting back, too. I think that's the big like, thing. Like, that's a, that's a big difference. That, that's the big difference. Like, but, like, Ronnie Adder, they're saying, you need to play some D, my friend. What do you, how do you, what do you make of well, that? Well, I'm definitely happy to hear from Bob that he's been impressed with Adder's progression. I do know that they they don't view him as an offensive defenseman at this at this level. I guess at the NHL level, at the AHL level, he can do it. At the NHL level, they do not think that is his role. I, I I was wondering if him being down there was primarily because they had soured on him, or if it was just because there's no room. If Bob is, is if his evaluation matches the organization's evaluation of his progression this season of Ronnie I's progression, maybe it is just a lack of room. Because it is fair to say that the Flyers have a lot more right side def defenseman depth than I think we even anticipated they would. You have Travis Sanheim moves over to the right side. You have Rasmus Line and misses the first month and a half of the year, but since then he's been back. Now you have Jamie Drysdale. Sean Walker took this gigantic, unexpected leap into being a quality top four defenseman this year. It might just be as simple as there's no spot for him right now on the right side, so they're letting him, you know, they're letting him percolate. They're letting him kind of continue to develop down there because they don't have a space to play him at the NHL level, but they are actually happy with his progression. That's certainly possible. I'm a Ronnie Adder fan. He has a great shot. He's super aggressive. He thinks he can get every puck, and I don't want them to kill that element of him. I was a little bit concerned when a couple years ago, I believe this was the development staff before the, uh, the current one, but they noted Eric Chernak as a guy they wanted him to to look at. Um, I think Jacob Truba was another guy they wanted him to watch. I, I don't know. I guess my thing is I don't want them to turn him into just a like sit back and play defense guy. I want them to develop him into an attacking guy. I hope that's that's the case. I hope that's what they're turning him into. The idea now I look at now all stay at home defensemen ultimately like it's a disappointing outcome, but some are better than others. Like I look at Andrew McDonald as sit back and yeah. play defense yeah. because he could do nothing else. Yeah, it was terrible. When you mention, and now like this is a high end outcome for anybody, Jacob Truba, he's playing defense, but he is by no means sitting back. No, no. So maybe like turn some of that offensive aggression into just overall aggression. I don't hate that idea. Yeah. Now, I see a dude with some of the offensive skills Adderd has, and listen, I've seen him play a handful of times, but I liked some of what I saw. Like, I don't want to take that away from him, but if you turn him into Radko Gudis, is I, that I, a I've always liked the possible Radko Gudis 
Because of the shot. That's well, what I'm... The shot. He doesn't shoot as much as Gudas, but I don't know <laughs> if anybody does. does. Fucking He's, Owen Tippett. Yeah, exactly. It. He still shoots a lot. Adder <laughs> does shoot a lot, and he should. He has a good shot. Yeah. I don't think Adderd is as mean as Gudas. Again, but that said, Adderd is bigger than Gudas. I mean, yeah. Gudas is Gudas is solid. I mean, he's a strong guy, but he's not tall. Yeah, Adderd has the height. He has the reach that Gudas doesn't have. Yeah, if you could turn Ronnie Adderd into like a really good four-five, which I think is kind of Raku Gudas has always been his ideal role. You don't really want Raku Gudas on your top pair, but hey, he's a hell of a bottom half of the lineup defenseman. He's, I mean, he's apparently really been impressive in Anaheim. I know he was a big part of that Florida defense from last year that made it all the way to the cup final. So he's a quality player. If Ronnie Adder could become a, a Rakugudis. That'd be a great outcome for the Flyers. I was starting to be skeptical that it could happen because he was just kind of hanging out down there waiting. Maybe it still could happen. Now, this could be positional need. This could just be an issue of, like you said, they have so much right-handed depth that even like... Say we get, say we get, they move three defensemen and it's Walker, Sealer, and, uh, and Stahl. Mark Stahl. Stahl. Say they're yeah. able to move on from Stahl. Mm-hmm. That is still two lefties and one of whom, uh, one of which doesn't play yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, it will leave you with just five though. Who do you think comes up? Uh, good question. Uh, based on what based Bob, on that, based on what Bob's saying, he thinks yeah. that Adder is more ready than Andre. That said, I think John Tortorella likes Emil Andre more than he likes Ronnie Adder. So it might be that simple in that they think Andre has more of an upside. There's a more obvious fit. Look, they could find a way to get Ronnie Adder up in the wake of trades if they want to. Because I'm I'm fully expecting Sean Walker to get moved at this point. I think that is not a certainty, but it's certainly a likelihood. JVR was a certainty. <laughs> if he gets moved, then I guess presum- pre- presumably your, your right side defenseman are then Drysdale, Sanheim, Ristolainen. However, you could very easily move Sanheim back over to the left temporarily to give Ronnie Adder a shot. Or they show they were willing to do this the week before the uh, this bye week. They could just sit Ristolainen for a game or two. They've done it. It's not like he is immune from a scratching. So if they really want to give Ronnie Adder a shot, they can find ways to fit him once Sean Walker has been moved for some type of future asset. Now, Emil Andre is uh, is down there. We saw him up to start the year. Uh, had an impressive camp, at least stood out, whether good or bad. And John Tortorella said, like, this guy makes a ton of mistakes. What I love about him is he's not afraid to. He is aggressive, uh, and he has that upside you're talking about. Now, in uh, 31 games in the American Hockey League, four goals, 18 assists for 22 points, scoring a decent amount, but it doesn't sound like the uh, that thing Tortorella wanted from him, like just make faster decisions. Yeah. That is still a work in progress for him. Yeah, it does seem like, and I've been very excited to see the point production. It does seem like a lot of that is driven by the power play, which, great. I'd love to have more guys who can be good on the power play. That said, I don't think it's a guarantee that if Emil Andre becomes an NHL defenseman that he is going to be a power play staple. He might, maybe, but... Given the fact that they just traded for Jamie Drysdale, the fact that Yegor Zamul is showing skill in that area, then they have guys like Sanheim and York, it's not a guarantee that Andre is going to have the opportunity at the NHL level to rack up a ton of points on the power play, which means he's got to be an effective five-on-five defenseman. What I had heard is that he was making progress. Bob seems to believe he hasn't quite made enough progress yet, but I do think he's trending in the right direction in that regard. 
I'm still optimistic about Emil Andre's potential. I wouldn't be shocked to see him get a call up at the end of the year once a few guys get moved. It's not a certainty, but I'm certainly not ruling it out. And I think they are, in general, from what I've gathered, they are happy with the progress he's making. This comes down to whether he makes enough by the end of the season to get another look. I uh, I was listening to the new Broad Street Hockey podcast today, and they mentioned uh, Victor Mete. Victor Mete. I forgot about that I guy. forgot that that was this year. Yeah, it was this year. <laughs> was he actually, got some time. That was actually this year. So we're talking about all these guys. Uh, there's, a, there's always a chance it's just him. You know, there's always just a chance it's him. And the last dude I really wanted to focus on, uh, Elliot Desnoyers, who mm-hmm. had the big season last year, kind of a surprise breakout, scored a ton of goals for them. This year, not so much the case for Tainoye. Four goals uh, to this point in the season. Do you th- like uh, Road Truck basically chalked it up to sophomore slump? Is that like, do you think that fits with what's going on? It's just one of those seasons. It's certainly possible. That said, it doesn't make it good. No. Like, just because a guy had a sophomore slump, and that might be the reason. Maybe next year, Tainoye bounces back and starts scoring again. It happens. It never is a good sign for a prospect's progression if he takes a step back. And it does appear, I mean, the good news from what from what Bob said is that it doesn't seem like his defensive play has slipped. It seems like he's still doing the right things positionally. He's still doing the things that make him a coach's favorite that, that got the attention of the organization. And maybe the way they'll look at it is that, hey, if he's an NHLer, he's not going to be a scorer anyway. So... We'll give him a look at some point because we see him as a fourth liner long term. And maybe it'll work out in Daniel's favor in the long term. But I never like to see a guy take a step back. And I just get the sense that Bob, while he didn't bury Daniel, it's fairly clear that this is a step back. And while I don't think this ends any chance Daniel has of being an NHL player, it definitely cuts back on the likelihood that he's going to make it and be it. And not even an impact guy, but just a quality guy. Bob is around these guys all the time. He's, I don't know the broadcast situation, but more or less, if not directly a team employee, he's not going to bury anybody. Um, the way he answered questions about day, he was searching for the words as to not bury. I don't know. Like, I don't know if his intention was to like bury, but like put a spin on, Okay, well, maybe it's just a sophomore slump. And LaPerriere has said, you know, like, oh, I slumped as a, I had that issue as a sophomore, you know, pro second season. Like, he with Desnoyers wasn't as direct in his analysis, which tells me he's like, what words can I use here that aren't flat out disappointment? Yeah, <laughs> like, which is fair. Yeah. This was a no, guy who was one of their top scorers last year. And this year he is seemingly regressing into just a nice little role player rather than one of their key guys, which we've seen enough of honestly, nice little role player is something that the phantoms have produced enough of for the flyers. They just gave Ryan Paling a contract. Garnett Hathaway signed a nice little role player is something this team doesn't need. Nice third line spark is something they do need, but that's a guy who has to provide offense if you have four goals halfway through an AHL season, you're going to get moved down in everyone's mind. It's very regardless yeah. of what the reason is. Yeah. Everyone's like, well, guess who jumped you? Half the team. Yeah. You know, um, before fair. we move on to the uh, breaking news ish, 
Let's get to Bagels and Company. That's right, Bagels and Co. The best Brooklyn-style bagels made right here with Philly love. First thing you got to know about Bagels and Co. Huge selection, large variety, usually 15 to 20 different types of bagels to choose from. And not only do they have a ton, they're all gigantic. Lots of food, lots of of choices at Bagels and Company. You know they have the... uh, seasonal varieties, all sorts of different things, the sports varieties. Second thing you need to know about Bagels and Company, huge selection of cream cheese. You have 15 to 20 different bagels in stock. You need a lot of different toppings for them. Bagels and Company has you covered 30 different flavors of cream cheese and schmears every single day. Last but not least, in fact, probably the most important thing, An affordable brand, Bagels & Company, is lots of food for cheap. We all need that as someone who uh, spends more than they should on takeout and the overall food budget. Eh, You want a nice little breakfast or maybe you're getting a catering tray for a party at the office or something. Get the most bang for your buck at Bagels & Company for the best Brooklyn-style bagels made right here in Philly. Head to thebagelsandco.com slash store dash locator to find the closest bagels and company near you. All right, that was fun. What isn't fun is the... Uh, I guess I shouldn't yeah, just turn it, it into it, a it's, joke. It's, it's, but it's no, a really it, awful. It, it's but, just yeah. fucking stupid. Yeah. Uh, it sucks. Carter Hart, uh, based on the report by TSN's Rick Westhead, is officially implicated in the Hockey Canada situation. Well, I, I wouldn't say officially because he hasn't been officially charged. He's not. But Rick Westhead is about as as legit of a journalist as you're going to get, especially in situations like this. Yes. So I find it highly unlikely that if Rick has Rick is reporting something, that it is not ultimately going to be proven out to be true. It appears what the timeline is, is that they're having this press conference. The London Police Department is having a press conference scheduled for next Monday. It appears that the pl- all the players are required to essentially turn themselves in before then, and then the police department is going to talk about the specifics of the charges that have been uh, that have been laid against these guys. And look, it's not that this is a surprise, given the way last week played out. Given the, it certainly was not coincidental, but you you know. It would have been a hell of a coincidence if five guys take indefinite leaves of absence just when another report comes out saying five players are about to be charged in the 2018 uh, sexual assault. I guess there was always the possibility of some sort of cooperate, like some other role in the investigation uh, other than being one of the people being charged. That's fair. But now that he's listed as one of the five that is no longer, uh, I guess, on the table. Yeah, and and I think, I mean, again, this all makes sense based on what the way Danny Briere approached the press conference last Wednesday when I specifically asked if Carter Hart is charged in this case, would you guys look to cut ties with him? And they basically, or Briere basically said, the league is going to have an input in there. So, I mean, where we're at right now is, number one, I think it is highly unlikely that Carter Hart is ever going to play another hockey game for the Philadelphia Flyers. That would be surprising. Number two, I think it's highly likely Carter Hart never plays another NHL game, period. We obviously have to see how the legal proceeding plays out. You know, he has not been found guilty in a court of law, but 
for even these allegations to be brought out, it's it's not looking great for what he did in this situation. It it certainly doesn't look uh, anyone hoping for a positive out. Like I don't yeah, even well, know. Any, any, positive outcome any, isn't any, the, anybody looking for there to be like. Don't worry, Carter Hart did nothing wrong. Yeah. Even if Carter Hart is ultimately, you know, either the charges are dropped or he's found innocent by, you know, by a jury trial, there are very many situations. Disdain there is, are very there are very many situations where someone cannot it cannot be proven in a court of law whether someone was guilty, but that person very well did some terrible things. It just could not be proven in a court of law. My guess, and this is just a guess, is that when the charges are brought, the NHL is going to implement some sort of discipline that will take the decision out of the hands of the teams. That is my assumption, whether that's an indefinite suspension or whether that is straight up terminating all their contracts. Um, Chris Johnson and, uh, and Ian Mendez did a really good article for The Athletic this morning talking about what power uh, the league and the individual teams have in situations like this when a player is charged with a crime, basically what the two of them reported, which I did not know. The commissioner actually does have the power if he or she, I guess it's Gary Bevin, so it's he. Um, if he wants to, he can unilaterally terminate a contract. Really? I, I do wonder if that is the route that Bettman will take for these four players. Obviously, Alex Fermentin is another one of the five. He is not under contract, so he's not really the NHL's problem anymore. The four guys, including Hart, are. I am curious to see if Bettman will just say, okay, all these contracts are getting torn up because they were just charged with sexual assault. Um, I guess... I don't... The Carter Hart part of this with his contract expiring, would that... Is it more of an issue for the future or right now with the termination? I guess, well, like, I mean, because he's a restricted it, free it, it's, agent. It's an issue for both. Would he then? I, I think there's an element here where, given what these guys apparently are going to be charged with, which is some really, really awful, awful stuff, I think there's a good chance the NHL just may not want anyone under contract in their league yeah. with charges like this hanging That's, over their heads. So while, like, purely looking at this from a team perspective, it's not that big of a deal for the Flyers, whether he's under contract for the rest of the year and then they just let it expire versus it's terminated now. They would have a little bit more cap space for, for, the, for the trade deadline, which like, sure, but it's not going to kill them. What would drive this being done immediately, however, is just the idea of the NHL and the Flyers, for that matter, not wanting someone under contract connected with something this terrible. All right. Uh, it's It's not a ton of new information, but it is kind of the next step in this whole yeah, process. Th th this, this was what was coming. Uh, a couple of things I want to get to, and then we'll see if we have time for the mailbag. There's at least one mailbag question I want to get to before you disappear for the rest of the week. Um, but just to get back to something from Road Truck. Oh, J.R. Avon. That's what John Randall Avon. John Randall Avon. A, uh, an undrafted player has kind of turned some heads with the organization. Now, I don't expect him to have a huge, like, it's already like, okay, yeah, he's having a nice little AHL rookie season and all, but we'll see where this goes. Right. But it seems like people are really high on him right now. Yeah, I, I think when I've watched him, what stands out the most is his skating ability. Like, he can skate. He's not Said he reminds him a little of Tuamala. He's not Tuamala fast, but he's on that level. And 
I don't know if he has the like I watch Tuamala and I do see how he could be like a 30 to 40 point guy. If Avon makes it work at the NHL level, it might be in more of like a Daryl Powell type role. But hey, people really like Daryl Powell. He was a fun player. Pow! Right in the kisser. But anyway, um, in all seriousness, like Avon is an interesting guy just as a depth guy. I don't think people should be paying attention to him and thinking, oh man, Avon, he could be a, an impact player. But if you get a quality bottom sixer as an undrafted free agent, it's it's a good move. That's, I did just say like about a day noyer, like we have turned out enough of those. Oh, he's a nice little role player or whatever. Finding those guys as under like that's huge. Like, oh, we found a fourth liner who we didn't even draft. And like Avon, you mentioned to me during the interview, um, he was a dude, his draft year, he went undrafted probably in large part because his league didn't play. Yeah. Uh there was the twenty twenty one season. Yes. Yeah. He was in the OHL. The OHL canceled that entire season. Yeah. So Avon had no opportunity really. Because if you remember, there were some guys, the highest profile guys in the OHL were able to either, you know, if they were drafted, they could play in the AHL or they could go overseas. Someone like Avon, who was more of a middle of the lineup guy for his team, wasn't going to be getting offers to play in Europe for leagues that were still going. So he just had to sit around. And because of that, he slipped through the cracks. The Flyers offered him. I think he went to development camp. I know he was invited to main camp. And then he got a contract offer out of it. And now the Flyers are seeing what they have in him. I am. Uh, yeah, this isn't. There we go. All right. So now we have now we have some mailbag questions I want to get to. Charlie, I think we've pretty well talked out the road truck interview. And we only have a little bit of time left in the show. So I want to jump Right to this. I'm sorry, Brenna, for going out of order. Uh, I want to jump right to this question because it's it's very funny to me. About uh, from Fransky and L.A. Here it is from Fransky and L.A. Who will win more games in the month of April, the Flyers or the combination of Aaron Nola? And Zach Wheeler. This is such, and, a, this is such a ridiculous uh, question. It's, it's such a ridiculous question, and I'm trying to like bring up the schedules as we well, do so, this. So the Flyers have seven games in the month of April. The Phillies have 28. Presumably, you would think, you know, five man rotation. Maybe the two at most get 11, 11 or 12 starts, depending on how they shake it out. So you're saying seven opportunities to win for the Flyers. 12 opportunities. So here's my only question about that question. Because <laughs> I'm interpreting that to mean Nola and Wheeler have to actually get the wins. Get the wins. Yes, they have, in... they have to get the wins. That's, it's not just that's they have the only they way are... to make it comparable. Exactly. You would hope the Phillies win a majority of their starts. Exactly. Now, it hasn't always gone that way, especially early in seasons for them. But a lot of guy, a couple of guys making a ton of money. You would hope that yeah. they win those starts. Yeah. I think to make it an even comparison, it's... Uh, it's their actual team, their actual player W. So what are you going with? I have to go with Nolan Wheeler. Okay. I mean, I just looking at the Flyers situation right now, I am optimistic that they are going to bounce back and be competitive in this second half of the season, final 30 games, whatever you want to call it. I think they're going to be pretty good. That said, um, as we just detailed with the Phantoms, Goaltending is huge, especially now as teams really get geared up for their uh, for their playoff runs. The Flyers have rookie Samuel Erson, and who 
in net. Yeah, it's a fair point. Like, do you want to run Airson into the ground? I guess you can just play him every day and go like, hey, kid, um, you're going to wear it. You're like, we like you. You're, you have a contract. Good luck. Sink or swim. Um, or they might continue to try to split a little bit of time, at least give him some rest. Who did we see? Was it a couple of years ago with Columbus and Merz Lincoln's? Where they were just like, have at it. Oh, they yeah. played like 28 games in a row or yeah, some shit. Yeah, it was shit. nuts, but they he did He was on it. some bro-door schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, man, I can't believe you. It was like an 899 save percentage. It's like, I can't. He hasn't had a day off in two months. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, it, they can go either way. Uh, I don't see... I don't see a ton of wins coming because of either strategy. Okay, I'm going to go the other way. You're going to go with the Flyers. I'm going to go with the Flyers, and here's my reasoning. So, I didn't have any, Do they play a bunch of shit teams? No, it's not even that. It's, it's just last year, Zach Wheeler had 13 wins. Aaron Nola had 12 wins. It's a six-month season, right? So April, May, June, July, August, September, six months. So on average, the starting pitchers, the, the, the two aces of the, of the Phillies, got about two wins per month. So let's say they get four they get four wins combined in April. I think that is a fair guess. I am going to guess that the Flyers somehow find a way to get five. And you and know if, and you know why I'm I'm going to be a little bit of a, of a of a buzzkill here. It's because what's invariably going to happen is the Flyers are going to fall out of playoff contention. Then going everyone's going to be like, "Hey, if they lose all these games, they could get a top ten pick." And then they're going to go on an April winning streak and win a bunch of games and end up with like the thirteenth overall pick. No, I'm looking at their end of season schedule and I see the last three games against playoff bound probably at that point Rangers and Devils and then we'll see if the Caps hold on yeah I don't think uh, they will they're gonna win those three games yeah, right. yeah. to close out the season and it's absolutely gonna take them from like pick eight to pick 12 yeah yeah and people are gonna be livid because oh, that's absolutely. just the way it yes. always goes no like we're gonna get three these are gonna be three consecutive Harrison shutouts to end <laughs> the season uh oh probably uh, yeah he's gonna outduel Shesterkin in a shootout yeah that's gonna happen on April 11th no it's I am gonna go with ah oh, man it's, it's, see, it's really only a five-month season for Nola. Yeah. September don't count. That's, he's getting no wins in September. That's true. That's so true. he's got to front-load his wins. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. he gets maybe four in the month of April. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I Listen, um, Fransky in L.A., great Twitter follower. They are there. And I said, oh, I'm definitely getting to this question. And they're like, yeah, by Wednesday. And I had to prove I could get it in okay. before Wednesday. And you're that. leaving. So I went in like, Kelly right. doesn't care about baseball. So I had to do this with you here. Uh, but that's it. I think we're pretty much done for the day, Charlie. Uh, do we have anything else to talk about? Uh, no, I think we kind of ran through everything. Obviously, we had the uh, the Bob Truck interview. Um, we talked as much as we could about the uh, the Carter Hart news. As we said, it's not that this wasn't expected based on the events of last week. However, it it doesn't make it any less awful to learn for no. sure. Like, I mean, it's it's going to be Flyers fans. This is going to be a tough situation to grasp because for so long they've cheered for this guy and he was it man like he was the savior yeah i i do not i do not want to any way shape or form to minimize the victim because it's the victim who really should be at the center of this however sure. i do also feel bad for the people who rooted for this team and carter hart specifically particularly the kids who rooted for him i it's just it's just an awful situation all around and it just sucks that's I saw a uh, I was with some friends of friends the other day and one of the uh, one of their kids had a Carter Hart jersey on and I went to his dad I was like really dude 
He's like, what the fuck you want me to tell? Like, yeah. he's four or five or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, yeah, I, I guess that is like a super hard situation that I hadn't considered. Something like a, a little free piece of advice here for the Flyers. You're owned by Comcast. You can afford it to a jersey exchange. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It, this isn't some fucking ECHL yeah. franchise just holding on. You can afford it. And, and, and in fairness, none of this can be done until charges are oh, no, actually. Like, like, this is still just a report. It's just that legally, it's, it's, risk, it's Rick Westhead. Yeah. He's not going to be wrong. Legally, you can't. I don't know what you can and can't do. You probably can't be like turning your back on a guy that legally you're still bound to. There's probably some sort no, of. No, there, there will be lawyers, to yeah, be sure. Uh, there's probably some sort of issue there. But like partner with some kind of like survivor's fund yeah. and do a jersey exchange. And, and you know what? I don't want to give the Flyers too much credit for things they haven't already done. However, I do think that this new organization with the people at the top, like I think they get it enough to know that this isn't a situation that they can just brush under the rug and say, oh, well, you know, we we terminated his contract, so it's fine. Like there's going to be things that need to be done for them to show that they understand the gravity of this charge, of this entire situation, and the impact that it's going to have on the fan base. What was he, 2016 draft, Hart? Yes, 2016. So it's been eight years of this guy being talked about yeah. in the organization, part and now part of the team, the number one goalie in the play. Like, he has a big footprint here. Yeah, and There's and, a yeah. lot, like... It's just, it, it's so frustrating yeah. because you have a, like, I am of the opinion that people should not look to professional athletes as role models. I don't think that that is a good idea. I don't think it's particularly healthy. I don't think a lot of these players even have the ability to be good role models. But there are bare minimums that players... Don't be a piece of shit. There are bare minimums of humanity, but there are bare minimums of, hey, you're in the public eye. Like, don't be a human being. And based on the allegations in this, like, the players involved were doing... No, it it was awful. So. Yeah. All right. Um, that is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers today. We'll be back tomorrow. I know the schedule says three. Plan on it being around four o'clock that we go live tomorrow. Uh, until then, thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, make sure you're following us right here on YouTube uh, so you never miss a live show at PHLY underscore Flyers on Twitter, PHLY Flyers, wherever you find your podcasts. My name is Bill Matz for Charlie O'Connor. Have a great Tuesday, Philly. We all silly like the mayor. 